These are the confessions of American Christians recovering from American Christianity. This is the world we made. Pastor Jacob Menzel. And I'm here with Nathan Alberson. That's me. The world we made was built to sharpen your wits and put some iron in your spine. Does here there be dragons, boys and girls? And this is part three of our series on the dragon of homosexuality and how to love homosexuals. We've been talking with Pastor Tim Bailey about the history of homosexuality in his lifetime, where it was a long time ago, where it is now, and how it got here. If you want the answers to those questions, they are available wherever fine podcasts are downloadable. Today we take a step back and ask a big question. What does the Bible, the Word of God, say about homosexuality? Huh, well, I guess we couldn't put it off forever, Jake. And why would we want to? In Psalm 119, 14, King David says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Rejoice, delight. So hang on. Are we telling people that not only do they have to do like the painful duty of hearing and then like sharing and applying God's law exactly where nobody wants to hear slash share slash apply it, but they also have to do it with like a skip in their step and a song in their heart? I mean, we're not saying you have to lick your lollipop and click your heels together, but yeah, you have to find a way to rejoice in these truths. Okay, I hate to be that guy. No, you don't. Okay, you got me. I love to be that guy, but in my official capacity as that guy, let me just ask, how are we supposed to rejoice in God's law about homosexuality? Sexuality. I, I mean, all around us, people are pushing for acceptance and tolerance, rainbow flags and pride parades. And meanwhile, it'd be one thing if the Bible was vague, but it uses words like abomination. It's not like anybody can read it and go, gee, I wonder what the writers of scripture were getting at when they used the word abomination. Actually, lots of people read it and do just that. But you make a good point, which is that even if you take what the Bible says about homosexuality at face value and believe it, the burden of sharing it with the rebellious culture is not fun. No, I can't say that it is. So So to everyone listening to this, you may be new to what the Bible says about homosexuality or this may all be old hat for you. Either way, as you listen, your challenge is not only to open your heart to God's word on the subject, but also to figure out where the joy is in it. And we don't mean a begrudging, like half-hearted, I guess I'll take joy in this because the Bible tells me to. No, we mean as you listen to Tim, you should hear things from God's word that actually make you happy. Things about the doctrine of human sexuality that are really pretty cool. Yeah, pay attention for those things and we'll reconvene at the end of the clip to compare notes. So yeah, this session started with me just straight up asking Tim, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Here's his answer. Well, the most important thing the Bible says about homosexuality is that in Genesis, it tells us that it was not good that the man was alone and that God created a woman. Her name was Eve. She was given to Adam and Adam's response was very, very sensuous and soft and intimate and sexy, he said, oh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, she looked good to him and he indulged himself in husbandry, in intimacy sexually. 
uh, he and Eve were man and wife. So that's the most important thing that Scripture tells us about homosexuality. Because when God creates intimacy of a man and a woman for each other, that is paradigmatic. That is the central truth that we need to witness and live in our lives and honor. God was entirely capable of explaining to Adam that he could go ahead and have sex with anyone he wanted, just as long as he didn't have sex twice in one night. You know, you think of the, the tree of the forbidden fruit. God could have made, you know, rules. God could have done anything he wanted. God made Eve for Adam. And this is before the fall, so this isn't a function of sin coming into the world and from that point on, you know, us having rigid rules that we can only have one woman. You know, no. God gave Eve to Adam. Adam loved Eve. The two of them were united, and they became one flesh. You can never become one flesh with a member of the same sex. It's impossible. Yeah, you can do it, but it is on every level, from the most trivial to the most profound, it is a violation of God's order of creation. So that's the first thing, is God made Eve and Eve and Adam united and the two became one flesh and that was a marriage and it was till death. One man, one woman, till death, male and female. Now, because of God's pattern for sexual intimacy, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing, I just can't believe at 62 how much, and it doesn't mean I'm not, don't get irritated with her, doesn't mean that we don't get short with each other and short isn't, doesn't begin to do it. Yeah, sometimes we argue and sometimes we fight, yeah, 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 yeah. But I can't believe at 62 how much I love my wife. It's unbelievable how second by second, year by year, decade by decade, you can continue to love the same person that God gave you when you were a young man and didn't even know what it was to be married, okay? decide we're not going to get married and, and hook up with people, when we decide we're going to look at a virtual, you know, some virtual woman or get a doll, but a visual doll, it's pathetic because it's a violation of what God made, which was for there to be intimacy lifelong that grows in beauty and grows in closeness such that when your spouse dies, man or woman, and you're older, you just want to die. From the time my dad died, my mother wanted to die, honestly. It took her two to three years to go back to church because she was so horror-stricken at the thought of walking into church without her lover. And she was godly, and she couldn't bear to go out in public without her husband. And so... When we do anything that violates, when we break off our marriages, when we commit adultery, when we take a woman without committing to her for all of life, uh, all these things are a violation. Now, obviously, if a man has a man, it's a violation of God's beautiful gift, which is man and woman for life, you know? And so you find in the Old Testament, God saying that when a man lies with another man as with a woman, that it's an abomination to him. That's the word that's used. Next, Tim gave us a brief rundown of some of the scriptures that refer specifically to homosexuality. Leviticus 18.22 Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is abomination. Romans 1.26-28 
For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Leviticus 20:13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. 1 Timothy 1, 8-11 But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Jude 1.7 As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, God requires us to be holy. Without holiness, no man will see God, it says in Hebrews. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We, we won't be in heaven. We won't be in the presence of the Lord for the rest of our existence. Do not be deceived. So he said that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He reinforces, he says, don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So scripture refers across scripture to any sexual intimacy outside of one woman, one man. Now we can we can get into the question of the concubines and the polygamy of the Old Testament, but set that to the side for a second and the divorce that was allowed in the Old Testament. From the beginning, Jesus said he made the male and female. And so scripture doesn't hammer the issue of homosexuality, sodomy and lesbianism. It doesn't hammer it because it's so obvious. God made Eve for Adam, all right? And so scripture just dismisses it. It's just listed in the list of a number of sins that will disqualify us from entry into the kingdom of heaven. And then it goes on and says here in 1 Corinthians 6, that such were some of you, but you've been washed. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that's past, right? So that's what scripture says, that those who give themselves to lesbianism and, and to the gay lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, boys and girls, pencils down, eyes on me. It's time to give your answer. Where is the joy in what Tim was just talking about? Anybody? Anybody? Hello. Hello? Anybody? I don't, I don't think they're going to give an answer, Jake. You want to maybe give him a hint, Professor Menzel? Sure. Did you notice as Tim answered the question, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? How much time he actually spent talking about like Adam's love for his wife, Eve, or Tim's love for his own wife, Mary Lee, or his mom's love for his dad, and so on? Yeah, it was like, Tim kind of spent a lot of time on that sort of stuff. Like, just saying, my wife is great. Yeah, well, that's your hint. Okay, so what do we extrapolate from that, boys and girls? Anybody? I don't think they're going to answer. I think we're just going to have to tell them. The answer is that sex is great, right? Sex is great. 
God made us from the beginning to be sexual creatures, male and female. Everything God did in his design was good. You know, he creates the waters and then he separates the waters above from the waters below. He separates the dry land from the sea. He separates the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then he makes man. And then he separates us male and female. And every time God separates, he does something wonderful and beautiful and complementary. He takes the mess of the waters and he makes the heavens and the earth. He takes the mess of the earth and he creates the sea and the land. And when he makes man, he he makes male and female and he makes us to work together in a way that's just, it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it's meant that way from the beginning. And what we always do is we take the things that God has made and we corrupt them. And so in order to deal with the question of homosexuality, we can't just deal with the corruption. We have to deal with God's design, God's intent, because God's design and intent are always good. They're always what's for the best. Uh, they're perfect expressions of his glory and also of what, what we're made for. And if you're listening to this, we hope and pray, of course, that you had a good mother and father who reflected that dichotomy and the good things that God built into it. We hope that you have a good marriage and that it reflects that, but you may be thinking that you don't. And so even if you didn't, the reality is that there is hope and there's healing in in Christ. God is a good father. And just because your circumstances, the circumstances that have surrounded your life, don't reflect God's design, doesn't mean that you can't be healed and you can't be helped. And it doesn't give you an excuse to give yourself over to sin. And the way to look for healing The way to look for nourishment, the way to begin to find peace is not to be done with all the good things that God has built into the world, but to embrace them. However hard that may be for you. I'm not saying that if you're repenting of giving yourself to homosexuality that you need to go out tomorrow and find a girlfriend and marry her and start having babies. What I am saying is that you need to work to embrace the sexuality that God gave you from birth and embrace the goodness of it. And the way to do that is to find a good church, to uh, find fathers and mothers in the faith who can teach and model that for you if you were never if you never had that modeled for you as a kid growing up. And to understand that living in a sinful fallen world is hard. Fighting our sins, especially those deeply ingrained in us are hard. It's difficult work, but it's good work and it's rewarding work. It's work that leads to life and to joy and to peace. It is a broken world and this side of heaven, no one gets to experience the full joy of everything that God built into the sexes and into the sexual relationship. But we can repent and by the Holy Spirit, we can experience a lot of joy as we look into these things. But there are those people that are hurt in such a way that they do experience very little of it. And of course, that's what we're talking about. And that's what we'll be talking about as this podcast continues. So join us next time. written by Nathan Alberson and produced and executive produced by Nathan Alberson and Jacob Menzel. You can find more great content at warhornmedia.com or follow us on social media under at warhornmedia.com.